If you wanna find out about classical queers, then you're in the right place with Alice and Jaheen. Yeah! <laughs> Hello and welcome to Classical Queeros, the podcast where we de straighten uh, music in general. Uh, <laughs> this is a very special episode, and I would like to introduce all of our listeners to Julianne Colwell. Did I say that right? Sorry, yes, you did. <laughs> okay, great. Julianne Colwell. Julianne, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are? <laughs> Hello, everyone. Yes, my name is Julianne Colwell. Thanks for checking. It is one of those names. I get a lot of Julians when I go on and talk to people I don't know, like Julianne Colwell. And I'm like, <laughs> man, it clearly says Anne at the end of my name, but okay, whatever. <laughs> you know, it's like, how did I get it wrong? But anyways, um, yeah, I am a musician. I am mainly a jazz musician, known as a jazz musician, but I like to think of myself as like a singer, songwriter, slash jazz musician, and I'm a music teacher, and I'm also the host of the ARIA podcast, which is my podcast where I just interview a bunch of musicians and artists in general about life, whatever, and we, we like to talk about social issues that exist within those spaces as well, because it's important to address those issues and they're often not talked about. So that's pretty much it. Yeah. Woohoo. Yeah, we, we stan a multi hyphenate queen. Um we definitely stand a lot of those in this podcast, but now we have one in real life talking to us here over the computer. So that's always really exciting. So oh Shahid, I suppose we should introduce ourselves as well. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. <laughs> you know who we are. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Shahid, and um, I got vaccinated today. Woo! Yeah! yeah. <laughs> it's a miracle. It's a miracle. My arm is sore, mm, and it will um, be. drinking wine, <laughs> making it go away. I have to say, I'm really happy, and I know, Julianne, you are on your way to getting fully vaccinated, I think. Um, I actually am now. Oh, yay. Well, congratulations. Mm. Woo! I'm really Thank happy you. for you guys, but I'm also incredibly jealous um just i will not be i will not lie about it i'm i really wish that i could just get the vaccine i wish that everyone i knew could get the vaccine um but you know i will be patient i will take my time it is okay hopefully There's it'll come fast the the tunnel. yeah i mm-hmm. hope so um yeah but yeah anyway i'm alice uh my pronouns are she her and i and i am trying to teach my cat along with my girlfriend sam no, let me rephrase that. Sam and I together are teaching Rosie uh, how to go outside in her cat backpack. And um, it is a slow journey because Rosie is scared of many things that isn't like in her home. And she doesn't like the harness because like we didn't get her as a baby. So we couldn't train her in it as a baby. Um, mm-hmm. But she's gotten so comfy in her cat backpack we took her on a couple of errands today in the car and she usually hates car rides but she was totally fine she was just chilling in her little cat backpack in the back seat um like she has a like a scared car meow but we didn't hear it once and so we're just so very happy and proud of our little cat um i just heard her meow she's been meowing she's been like really bratty lately um <laughs> like her like I I know the feeling. Oh, <laughs> I know you do. Mm-hmm. Um she like her meows are like a teenager teenager like wah, 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 wah. <laughs> And in fact, one time, we still laugh about this. This was like the past week she like ran into our room 
like across the bed, like 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 patting, running, um, but meowing the whole time. So she was like, (laughs) (laughs) so funny. I've never heard anything like that before. Um, Anyway, so that's my little fun fact about me is is Rosie, just in general. Uh, (laughs) Love it. Yeah. So today, Julianne, uh, you're going to teach us about Sister Rosetta Tharp. Is that right? That is correct. Okay. I'm super excited. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm also excited, you know, to have this other person here to tell us about somebody. Um, and it's going to be amazing. But before we do that, we have to start with our iconic opening segment of What Do You Say, Gay? And Woo! yeah, <laughs> our question this time is... What is the gayest thing you've ever done? I mean, I don't know because, well, for me, um, I'm only recently um, known to be a bi woman and I don't really know like what is like, you know, gay (laughs) for a bi woman to do. Like Mm -hmm. in, 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 in some ways I know what it is. I think some of the gayest things I've done recently is I, you know, I got these <laughs> sick rainbow glasses. Mm, uh, sorry, it. sorry to the people who can't see it, who are listening to the audio. <laughs> I also got these sick bangs. Like, I feel like it was so funny. <laughs> like, after I got my haircut, after I got these glasses and just I started just dressing more comfortably in general, I wear like I have this pair of like high-waisted like acid wash jeans that I wear and I and I have this mm-hmm. like mini windbreaker. And I, I wore this with a beanie Cute. to um, <laughs> one of my, um, this, it was it was a teaching thing I was doing. And one of my coworkers was like, God, you look so gay today. And she's also, <laughs> she's also bi. So I was just mm-hmm. like, oh my God, thank you, Bella. Because she, <laughs> like, she, she said that I looked gay and I was like, yay, you know. And um, I love that. Yeah, it's it's mainly I think the gayest thing that I've been doing lately is just like expressing myself in a more comfortable way, which kind of is gay in and of itself to me. So I would say you know. that's true. Yeah, I mean to be gay is like it's like an essence of the soul, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, not for straight people. Straight people can't have this <laughs> essence, but anyone else can. <laughs> so like, whatever feels gay to you is mm-hmm. the gayest thing you've ever done. So yes. we love that. Yeah. Wow. What about you, Shahid? Oh, God. I've done a lot of gay things in my life, in my little gay life of mine. Um, (laughs) I think that um, besides, like, the hundred times of, the hundred times I fell in love with, like, a straight boy, um, the gayest thing I probably did. Um, well, one that comes to mind is like probably the straightest thing I've ever done, which is the gayest thing I've also, the, also the gayest thing. Um, when I was in high school, I asked three of my best friends to prom who are all girls um, <laughs> at the same time. Oh my God. Um, and I just like, I bought them all. We were like a friend group. We we're all in band. We we're like band geeks. And mm-hmm. I bought them all like Del Taco cookies and oh I, I wrote prom on all of them and <laughs> gave it to them. Um, so I went to prom with like three girls. Um, yes, that is kind of the gayest was... thing to do. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> they were like all my dates. Oh my God, um, and we so all cute. like color matched. <laughs> that's amazing. So, that's oh probably God. the gayest thing I've done. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's phenomenal. I... How, I don't know. I feel like my gayest thing that I've ever done. Well, if you ask 
most of my friends, they'd be like, Alice, your existence is the gayest thing you've ever done. And I would say, thank you. You're correct. But outside of that, maybe, probably. I also, oh, yes. I also want to say that if there's time, I would love to share the gayest thing I've ever witnessed Alice do. <laughs> but... <laughs> Um, you'll have to say that immediately after whatever I say, because I need to know. Um, so, Amazing. okay, what, <laughs> I don't know what you're about to say. I, with my thing, oh, I cannot speak. I think the gayest thing I've ever done is, like, cuddle in bed with my cat and my girlfriend in my underwear. That's it. Mm-hmm. It's, Solid. like, the most. That sounds yeah, heavenly. It's <laughs> yeah. the most, like, sublime peaceful like wonderful time to just you know here's my cat here's my girlfriend and there's my underwear <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> vibing yeah. just straight mm-hmm. vibing yeah i love right. it mm-hmm. very nice okay shahid tell me what is it <laughs> um so it's not just one event but it's like multiple events and it was um i guess pre-sam anytime alice was near a girl ever um, <laughs> freaking out um a lot like multiple times yeah about like how to even exist as a human being um mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and there's another there's another whole story with like i don't know we could cut this but like <laughs> i wasn't even there um your your dance class my dance class yeah my ballroom dancing class that i took at CSUN? Yes. Yeah. And wasn't there like a, a student that was like a biologist or some astrophysicist? No, you're confusing my dance class with Jamba Juice Girl. <laughs> oh, I Jamba thought... Jamba Juice Girl. <laughs> Jamba Juice Girl was this girl who worked at Jamba Juice who I thought was really cute. And I was <laughs> lonely and my identity was gay. So I would make my <laughs> friends go to Jamba Juice with me all the time. <laughs> Just to and, see that girl. <laughs> yeah, just to see that girl. I had girl. a lot of Jamba Juice uh, at CSUN. Yeah. <laughs> I know. All my friends make fun of me, and it's that's it's fair. I deserve it. Um, but yeah, I think I mentioned this briefly in our first episode, um, uh, like this astrobiology story. But yeah, I finally was like, hey, like so like, what do you do? And she's like, I'm studying astrobiology. And I was like, oh my God, what was that? What is that? But instead of saying... What is that? I was like, oh, okay. Um, so, so like, uh, like, like who, like how, what, like, what would you, um, what would you say? And I'm like standing at the counter at Jamba Juice. There's a line behind me, <laughs> and my friends are there watching, just letting me crash and burn. <laughs> Incredible. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, I went to that Jamba Juice a lot. Yeah, I don't know anything about her except that she studied astrobiology. I learned her first name and the place that she was going to go to school once she stopped working at Jamba Juice. And I won't say those things because right. <laughs> I'm not about to dox this stranger who didn't give me the time of day. <laughs> um, That's awesome. But yeah, so yeah, I'm a hot mess and and it's my brand. Yeah, I'm not mad about it. I'm here for it. Yeah, thank you. I'm here for it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so (laughs) now that we're done embarrassing me. um, (laughs) I was just about to say. (laughs) This is a good segment. This is a good segment. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back. 
for Julianne to teach us about Sister Rosetta Tharp. Woo! Mm-hmm. If you want to find out about classical queers. Alice. Shahid. Do you remember Jane Schaefer? Is that the five paragraph essay lady? Topic sentence, concrete detail, commentary, etc. Yeah, what was up with that? I don't know, but it definitely doesn't help with writing in the real world. Yeah, well, you know what could help with writing in the real world? Ooh, tell me. Honeybee Writing Coach. Honeybee Writing Coach? Yeah, it's a queer-owned business that helps people write all sorts of things. Like college essays? Yep. What about resumes? Oh, yeah. Cover letters? Mm-hmm. Website content? That too. School applications? Uh-huh. Raise requests? <laughs> yeah, literally anything you can think of. What about writing help for kids? Of course. Can I learn how to use my voice to get where I want to go in life? And empower myself and others? And make a difference in the world around me? Literally all of the above. Wow! Where can we find this magical writing coach? Just go to honeybeewritingcoach.com. Do you mean H-O-N-E-Y-B-E-E-W-R-I-T-I-N-G-C-O-A-C-H.com? Yeah, Honeybee Writing Coach. Write to learn, write to succeed, and write to lead. So, I don't know if you guys know this, but I have a cat. Her name is Rosie. She's right here next to me. Rosie, say hi. Okay, maybe next time. Anyway, Rosie, like most good cats, has to pee and poop on occasion. And most of these cats will do this in litter if they live in a house. So, we recently switched to my new favorite litter of all time. It's called Pretty Litter. It's it's well, it's great. I like it a lot. Um, reason number one I like it is it is not dusty. So when you pour it into the box and when it just exists there all the time, it's not floating up into the air making me cough and sneeze and stuff. It's really good for my lungs and it's really good for Rosie's lungs. Number two, the litter will change color if your cat is sick with something. So if the pee in the litter is yellow, then you're fine. If it's like red or blue, then that's not normal. And you know that your cat is sick and that's good because cats like to pretend that they're not sick all the time, but your litter will tell you if they're lying. And then finally, this litter is great because, well, actually not finally, anyway, this litter is great because it's not clumping. So it's so easy to scoop. Like when we changed to this, to this litter, it the whole like scooping process just got so easy. The bag was no longer filled with clumps of litter. It's just poop, and then the pee is dried, and it's gone forever, and it's great. And it's just so nice because you can sign up for a subscription service to get it delivered to your house. Um, three bags at a time every three months. You just use one bag a month, and that's all you need to do. It's super easy. It's super great. I love this litter. So if you want to get yourself some really good litter for yourself and also support Classical Queeros in a tiny, tiny way, you can go ahead and go to prettylitter.sjv.io slash classicalqueeros. One more time, that is 
prettylitter.sjv.io slash classicalqueeros. And you can get yourself some pretty litter and also get us like uh, nine bucks. I'll be totally transparent. So get yourself pretty litter today for your cat or also for someone else's cat. Nothing matters. I love you all and I love Rosie. Then you're in the right place with Alice and Jane. And we're back. Woohoo. Woo. Yeah. Uh, so I'm really excited. I don't know basically anything about Sister Rosetta Tharp. I don't know about you, Shahid. Nothing at all. Okay. Excellent. Well, <laughs> it's going to be a great time. Take us away. Well, I do want to start off by saying, have either of you heard her music at all? Like anything? Just any glimpse? Because I'm just curious as I as I talk about her. Maybe she was like like a blues singer in like the 30s. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's kind of when she started out. And um, yeah, I think so. So you're so you're generally familiar. Um, Sister Rosetta Tharp. She is a singer and a guitarist. Um, hmm. Here, let me start over. Sister Rosetta Tharp is a black singer and guitarist. <laughs> I think it's really important to say that. And um, she started out as a gospel singer. So yeah, she is a blues singer, but she was she was really rooted in in gospel music. And hmm. She was born on March 20th, 1915, and she died in 1973. So she had quite mm. a long life and quite a long career in music because she started out uh, singing in the church when she was four years old. She was like really young when she started singing, and um, wow. she started playing guitar not long after that. Just a tiny bit more background information. She grew up in a small town called Cotton Plant, Arkansas, and her both of her parents were cotton pickers. So Cotton Plant, Arkansas, cotton pickers as the main job occupation, you know, that was kind of the vibe that was going on. 1915. Wow. I have no idea. I can't even fathom life in 1915. So kind of crazy to think about. Oh, God. But, you know, yeah, she... She grew up in um, the Black Pentecostal Church, and in that church, I do want to point out that women were allowed to sing, and they were allowed to teach within the church, and that isn't something that happened Hmm. in other um, sectors of the church. I think that, you know, Pentecostal is specific, and I don't really know anything more beyond that, but (laughs) as as a Black woman, I don't think you always had a chance to sing, let alone uh, do much else in, in certain spaces. So it was really great Mm. that she was in a church like that where, um, her parents both sang in the church. So she started singing too. And there was uh, a story I heard about how she would just get up on the piano and play. And she was tiny. You couldn't even see her over the, (laughs) the, you know, grand piano. She was so small, but you could still hear her loud voice and you still knew that she was up there. And so she was kind of known as a, as a prodigy back then. Like she was, you know, everyone knew that she was going to make it Mm -hmm. (laughs) when she started singing. And she, you know, she's a singer and a guitarist. She is known as the godmother of rock and roll. So she, um, was kind of one of the first rock and roll musicians ever, arguably, the first rock and roll musician and she influenced artists such as but not limited to little richard johnny cash and elvis presley without her none of those dudes would have been who they are (laughs) or who they ended up being so Mm -hmm. definitely something to mention and she was known for the like heavy distortion in her guitar so it was really gritty sounding for the Mm. time you know it wasn't uh it wasn't, you know, gentle and <laughs> and soft. I don't know how to describe, <laughs> but, um, you know, women 
it, it really wasn't common for women to be guitarists at all back then, but it definitely wasn't common for black mm. women to be guitarists. And it was really frowned upon actually in the gospel scene for um, women to be playing guitar at all because, um, you know, huge <laughs> sexism alert here. <laughs> guitar is a masculine instrument. So as a woman, if you're playing a guitar, something's not right there. And she, you know, always played guitar and that was always her thing. I'll, I'll kind of go back to kind of her, her early beginnings. You know, she was known as like this singing a guitar playing miracle. You know, she could, she could do mm-hmm. it all. And um, as early as age six, you know, all of these accounts are so long ago. So we're pretty sure she was that young. She was actually traveling with her mother in an evangelical group. So she was literally touring at six years old <laughs> all wow. across the South. Can you imagine? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Um, just all along the south in in the in the early 1920s. So wow, she she was touring in a band that young, and then um, in the mid 20s, maybe 1924, 25 ish, she um, she moved to Chicago with her mom, and they started performing at another really big church, another Pentecostal church, but it was a much much bigger church, mm. much much wider audience, and um, they were even performing at church conventions. Don't know much about conventions, but I know that they're a big thing. So she was really, really becoming known in the in the gospel scene really early on. And um, when she turned 19 in 1934, she married a preacher with the last name Tharp. So um, she was actually born as Rosetta Newbin, and she changed her name to Rosetta Tharp when she got married. But as marriages go, when you turn 19 and you marry a preacher who's way older than you, that marriage didn't last very long. <laughs> And she got divorced uh, pretty quickly, maybe like three or four years. And uh, even through her failed marriage, she kept her last name because she thought it would be kind of a cool stage name. And around this time, it's 1938. (laughs) Yeah, right? Yeah, such a power move. Steal his name. (laughs) Um, Fast forward to 1938. She left her husband and she moved with her mom to New York City. And that's kind of when she starts to, um, you know, make it in, in the music world. So... You know, starting out in gospel, you wouldn't really imagine guitar to be an instrument in gospel music, but she really just accompanied mm. herself all the time. And uh, it was mm, really, really cool. It was really bluesy, too. Like uh, when you listen to recording early recordings of her, she has this big, booming, powerful voice. And it's it's really high as well. Um, so she, mm. you know. As she grew older, her voice changed, um, but it started out really high, uh, powerful voice where she could be gritty and she could be soft as well. You know, she could kind of mm-hmm. master both. She has the range. Mm-hmm. She did. And she wow. had it since she was a little girl. So it's I think that she's just such a wonderful person to talk about because she's not really known as being a composer because, you know, for a lot of her career, she was just singing songs that <laughs> she was contracted to sing. But as far mm-hmm. as arranging goes, she played a huge part in the arrangements that she was involved mm. in. Um, mm-hmm. You know, being a rhythm guitar player, being a solo guitar player, and also being able to play piano and sing. Um, I think that she did a lot more behind the scenes than we realized and that, that she was even credited for. So I really um, always want to point out when I talk about her that, you know, she is really truly behind her success 100%. Mm. That's awesome. These people sought her out, the people that I'm about to talk to you about, the people that she started playing with. You know, she was so, so successful 
in what she was doing already, everyone was gravitating toward her and wanted more. In the in the 60s, much later in her career, the UK loved her, loved her. And she actually mm. had this like short revival of her career in the 60s because all these people from the UK were like, please come come to Britain and play music with us, you know, like mm-hmm. come tour with us. And so she actually got to travel uh, toward the end of her career and, and play with some other really um, well-known musicians in the UK. And she is like a huge influence behind like British rock and roll and like uh, oh. British blues music. So... Yeah, wow. I know I've, I'm kind of like jumping around here a little bit. I'm trying to <laughs> say her story in a timeline, but I don't know how much that really matters. <laughs> no, nothing really matters, you know. <laughs> nothing really matters. <laughs> yeah, I mean, can can you say that a single past Classical Queeros episode has been said in a like a, <laughs> a normal, comprehensive, comprehensible way? No, I don't think so. So <laughs> we're well. all in good company. <laughs> but, you know, as as this is called Classical Queeros and we talk about queer composers, Rosetta Tharp was also a queer musician and Woo! woman. Um, it's probably very loud. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes! <laughs> well, I'm, I'm stoked about it, too. When... <laughs> When I first um, discovered Sister Rosetta Tharp, I was in a jazz repertoire class at ASU and um, the drummer Lewis Nash was teaching it. And he's like a really, really, really famous jazz drummer. He's like the most awesome dude in the world. And the whole class jazz repertoire, or I think that's what it was called. It was just him playing music and talking to us about it. That was literally it. He just showed us some awesome music and we discussed it in in depth and sometimes we would like analyze it or whatever, but it was mostly just him kind of like sharing his wisdom and experience with us through this music. And there was a day that he showed us Sister Rosetta Tharp and he showed us all this video of her later in her career in the UK doing this really, really famous. This is one of her most famous performances that she's well known for. If you look her up on YouTube, it's going to pop up right away. She performed at this train station and it was an outdoor Mm. performance. It was really weird how the stage is set up and like the train tracks, I think, are kind of in between her and the audience. I think that's how Mm. it was set up, at least. A really interesting outdoor performance. And she um, just the power (laughs) that this woman possesses. Amazing, amazing, amazing. He was just talking to us about her and he was like, I guarantee you that no one in this room has heard of her. And everyone said, yeah, none of us have heard of her. He was just telling us like she is the reason why blues guitar is what it is and why rock and roll is what it is. You know, without Sister Rosetta, this music would not be what it is. Like, she really single-handedly kind of <laughs> made this happen. Wow. Throughout her career, you know, she was really open about her sexuality in the industry, but she didn't really make mm-hmm. it public, uh, for a multitude of reasons, but one of the main reasons is in uh, late 1938, that's when she finally started recording, and she was 23. She was really young when she started recording, wow. and this is kind of, I think that there are a lot of uh, white women who were young that were successful at that age, but 
not a lot of black women that were that mm-hmm. age that were really successful. And so she was able to sign with um, Decca Records and she particularly played with the Lucky Millinders Jazz Orchestra. And there were like a million jazz orchestras back then. What a time. <laughs> what a time to be alive. Look down, look down that lonesome road before you travel. A lot of her main hits were with this group. In the late 30s, she was still performing mostly gospel music with these groups, and then it kind of started to become gospel and secular, where some of the lyrics were still pretty gospel, and some of the lyrics started to become very questionable, which caused quite a bit of controversy (laughs) in the gospel community. She had a seven-year contract with this orchestra, so that's like a lot. Uh, That's her the entire rest of her 20s with this orchestra, and they did start having her perform some songs that were not her brand. She was happy about it, though. I want to make that clear, too. She wanted to just branch out as an artist and not be in one bubble as a gospel singer or as a gospel whatever. She wanted to be able to do um, different things. And with her older fans, though, and with the gospel community... Oh, here she is. (laughs) Rosie! Rosie, say hello. (laughs) <laughs> hello 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 sweetheart okay she's trying to sniff the computer oh is she doing what winnie was doing just kind of like yeah getting in on that <laughs> just kind of <laughs> we have a like a our desk is two parts so like this bit up here is higher and you can mm. use it as a standing desk and i'm at the right. sitting desk so rosie likes to to go up there. Pop anyway, up there. I'm sorry for interrupting you. <laughs> oh, no worries. No worries. Luckily, because of my notes, I know where I am. <laughs> well, she has this seven-year contract with this orchestra. They started having her sing a lot of secular lyrics. And there was one song that came out that just messed everything up. And it is called, I Want a Tall Skinny Papa. <laughs> I Want a Tall Skinny Papa. <laughs> I Want... A tall, skinny papa. <laughs> and I mean, she's this like bright, young, beautiful black woman. And she, the lyrics are, um, I want a tall, skinny papa. That's all I ever need. I want a tall, skinny papa. That's all I'll And how it works is it's like a call and response thing where she says, I want a tall, skinny papa. And they go, yeah. The whole band goes, yeah. <laughs> and then she says that's all i'll ever need and then um it's a really sexually suggestive song i mean obviously Mm. the name itself might give that away but there's other parts of it that are really suggestive and and you know it really kind of stirred things up for her i think that she was happy to do it but it was really conflicting because she knew that it was causing problems and uh I think ultimately she kind of gave a middle finger to the whole situation. She started to play with this um, all white male uh, vocal group called the Jordanaires and they did a bunch of songs like that too. She's a black woman playing guitar with a bunch of white dudes and they're singing about Mm. sex a lot of the time and she was just (laughs) here for it, you know, because I don't think that she wanted her career to be just i mean uh, this happens to women today you know they're 
They're often overly sexualized in the media. So if they sing about sex, it's either expected or it's totally not okay. Like, you know, uh, people that come to mind are like Jessica Simpson, who started out singing mm. like Christian music and then she stopped singing Christian music and then everyone just slut shamed her to the end of time and called her a dumb mm-hmm. blonde and it was horrible. <laughs> Miley Cyrus. Yeah, as Miley well. Cyrus, I was thinking. Oh my Demi God. Lovato. Yeah, dude. All those Disney kids. <laughs> All of them. Yeah, anyone yeah. that needs to break out of that that shell. Yeah. 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 I think this was kind yeah. of Rosetta's way of doing this as she kind of realized like I can still sing gospel and and still have this uh be a part of my life and I can also still be my own person and sing whatever mm. I want and make whatever music that I want and That's really cool. I feel like that's hard to like it's we were kind of talking about this when we recorded the episode for your show how it's really hard for people to think of things not in black and white you know Mm -hmm. and especially for like your own self um so I, I imagine she must have had like a huge amount of like self uh assuredness like self-esteem to say like i am who i am and it doesn't matter like what boxes i fit in or don't um yeah that's so powerful that's really cool i envy her and i admire her oh me too truly i mean in in interviews of people who are close to her and who know her you know they generally say that she handled it all pretty well and she kind of just knew what she wanted and she kept going but who knows what the real story is like unfortunately we'll never hear from her own mouth like her own experience so none of us can speak for that but um you know this kind of transitions into her career is really starting to grow at the end of 1938 she's playing with the cab calloway orchestra at the cotton club and the cotton club was known to be the first like integrated jazz club um Mm -hmm. so she was already playing for white audiences, but I think for her, having been a person who was mostly playing for white audiences in a way, it was really cool to play at the Cotton Club too and be able to mm. kind of play for any and all. She was like kind of, I mean, for, for artists that were like Billie Holiday who were playing in clubs that were only for black audiences to then get the chance to play at integrated clubs, it was kind of a big deal. But I think mm-hmm. Rosetta, she kind of, um, and I don't know this, for absolute certain, but I think that she was able to already play with white musicians and for white uh, audiences earlier than that. So, mm-hmm. but it was kind of unique when she started to to do more and um, she was performing at Carnegie Hall. She was just kind of moving up in the ranks and doing not only gospel, but secular music as well. And that's when mm-hmm. the gospel influence was being mixed in with blues and jazz influences as well. And that's when her voice kind of started to evolve and change. And like I said earlier, she um, being a woman playing a guitar, it was already kind of frowned upon in the gospel community. And by 1943, she was pretty much shunned from the gospel community. Like they did not mm. want her to play at church anymore they kind of were done with her because of what she had been up to and and um and i you know i i definitely want to point this out that all throughout her career everything was still uh segregated for the most part and when rosetta was on tour with these orchestras she had to sneak in through the back of these hotels to like even get in sometimes she couldn't even get in and she had to sleep on the bus while her Ugh. male band members oh got to sleep inside. God. And wow. that 
Yeah. I mean, I know that's not a surprising story, especially for the time, but ooh, Mm -hmm. that really gets me going. I -hmm. think there was a similar thing that uh, we learned about in our Billy Strayhorn episode. I think, like, early in his career, before he left Pittsburgh, he had this trio. His jazz trio was him, I think, a clarinet and and a drummer. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other two guys were white, and they went out of town to do some sort of gig, and... um, uh they got like chased out of town for racism reasons Mm -hmm. and so they were like okay we will leave i don't want to be here um yeah that's crazy that's yeah it's the okay the thing that gets me the most i think is that it's not the like you can't be here because you're black thing which is terrible yes but the thing Mm -hmm. that gets me the most is that they're like you can't stay here because you're black but you still have to perform for me because you're talented like yep you can't have both. You, d- okay. I'm yeah. sorry. I know I'm preaching to the choir. We all know racism is bad. <laughs> no, no, I know. Okay. I mean, Drives it's a me really, insane. it's a really good thing to point out. I mean, she still had to perform in these venues, and she still had to. I don't know. She had to give it her all, and she had to sleep on the bus. And when the guys could go to a restaurant and she wasn't even allowed in they had to buy an extra meal for her and like sneak it out Mm -hmm. like literally there was an interview where they and this was kind of even later than the 40s this was like in the late 50s early 60s where they uh you know they were saying yeah like we'd get food together and then you know rosetta would be hanging out the bus and we'd order the same thing twice and make sure that she got her food but i mean this was some real shit. They were not allowed to enter the building in the front entrance um, to any of these venues. Mm. They'd have to go through the back way. They had to be like as unseen as possible unless they were on stage. You know, the only place they could be That's truly seen insane. is on stage. And I mean, yeah. yeah, I'm being a jazz student. I'm not surprised because all of the people that I look up to had to go through this um in their mm-hmm. in their lifetimes and in their careers but it is it is still pretty disgusting you know on one hand the gospel community is completely shunning her and just saying like well you're an abomination now because you're singing secular lyrics <laughs> and you're like being a woman and you're like doing things that women don't normally do so she's dealing with like Ugh. the extreme sexism of all of that and just the shunning of a community that she was a huge part of growing up. And then she's also dealing with people who won't accept her because of her race and because of her gender and, you know, like her sexuality. Again, she couldn't bring that up because imagine how much that would mess things up if she eventually came out with that. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, it definitely stacks up. But she's known for saying that – you know, when people would comment on her guitar playing and how good she was, they'd be like, how – you know, because people are so stupid. They'd be like, how is a woman? Can you play like that? How how can you do it? I just... And, and how she is would, it possible with your dainty little fingers? Yeah. Like, and she would say, because I play like a man. That's why. I play like a man. And like, I don't... Oh don't God. don't fully quote me on that but i i in that documentary that i watched she talked about how she could play like a man and that's that's how she can do it and it was mm. kind of just the irony of saying a statement like that back then but she would she would participate in like guitar battles at the apollo which is like <laughs> one of one of those classic theaters that would have like and i can only imagine a guitar battle in the 40s it's like hilarious sounding <laughs> to me but <laughs> 
she would she would show her chops and demonstrate how great she was any chance that she got and the the i mean how awesome it is to imagine i mean in her position like i i can't speak for her but just um just being in an all male world in my experience is very draining and exhausting so she's mm-hmm. you know she knows what's up <laughs> she's able to do it all the time and navigate through it all the yeah. time you know she must be incredibly strong absolutely but things were still looking up for her um so in in 1944 to 1946 she was doing a little bit more touring with some different groups and she recorded what is known as the very first rock and roll record in 1944 with um with sammy price who was a boogie woogie pianist and boogie woogie is a whole a whole thing and just i don't know just the versatility that she had throughout her career too is pretty incredible but Wow. I wish I understood. I know exactly zero about jazz. Sometimes I know negative about jazz because I think I know something and it turns out I don't. <laughs> um, so it's like, uh, like, okay. So you know how if you look at like a dancer, like a really good ballet dancer, you're like, wow, mm-hmm. that person's really good. But we're not ballet dancers. So it like it kind yeah. of goes over our head ex- how exactly how difficult it is mm-hmm. that they're doing what they're doing. I feel that way about jazz. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like this stuff is cool but I don't know what's going on so I'm just gonna sit here and appreciate it I mean that's how I feel about y'all's flute recitals you know like watching a classical <laughs> flute recital I'm like <laughs> like it's just that <laughs> flute requires more air than like any other instrument it's like so exhausting and like y'all can just go like 10 minutes without breathing it looks like you know like flying through <laughs> it these looks excerpts like that's the yeah, key word exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know I, well if it I makes you it. feel any better i look at flute recitals the same way i'm like how are you doing that <laughs> same <laughs> i mean oh jazz goodness. okay jazz has so many different parts to it and like what jazz is now like what modern jazz is compared to what it used to be is like very different and you know but but boogie woogie piano is like crazy so any of you that are listening and you two like just type in you know type in sammy price and see what comes up it it might be pretty fun in 1946 she was at another gospel concert and she saw this piano player and this singer i think she was just singing on this concert marie knight and she was like blown away by how amazing this woman was and she talked to her after the show and literally just invited her to start touring with her she was like i need you wow with me right now <laughs> and there's very little information about how they first became friends and became acquainted other than the fact that they met at this mahalia jackson concert and she is um, known to be one of the biggest like gospel singers of all time so another mm-hmm. you know little connection mm-hmm. but marie knight is um a gospel singer and uh, later in her career was an r&b singer and she was also she was born in 1920 um and she grew up um similar background she grew up in the church um and she started out as a singer and she was touring with an evangelist 
uh, singer, and she also married a preacher very young and got oh. divorced from him very young. Um, <laughs> and and here's where it gets gay, is these two. <laughs> they get yes. together. And I was hoping. <laughs> yes. <laughs> here's where the gay stuff happens. Marie Knight and Sister Rosetta Tharp start touring together, and they form their own group. And in some recordings, you can hear guitar, and so you know that Rosetta's playing guitar and, and Marie is singing. And in other recordings, you hear piano. And so we're not sure if Marie is playing piano or if Rosetta is playing piano. But we know that they both played. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to find the information on actually who's mm-hmm. on what record and who's on what recording. But yeah. um, they toured together for quite a long time. And all of Rosetta's friends know that she was with Marie Knight. But um, they definitely would tell people in interviews, oh, it's just gossip. We're not really together. We're just good friends. <laughs> you know, like the just gals being pals. Like that. <laughs> a classic. Exactly. A classic example of gals being pals. And and, and they, they had a pretty good uh, career together, um, I would say. They, they only toured for a few years. They did split up eventually, I think, after five or six years. Um, romantically or professionally um both I don't really know sad I don't really know for sure if they happened at the same time or one after the other but uh, they Mm -hmm. did eventually go their separate ways but there was a there was a really tragic thing that happened while um, they were touring together is Marie had two kids with her preacher ex-husband who tragically died in a fire while she was on tour with Rosetta oh my god so you can imagine hiding their hiding their relationship, being on tour, having to deal with just being a black woman <laughs> during those times, <laughs> and then losing your kids during that time. I can imagine that that might have torn them apart in some sense, but mm. I don't have any concrete information to suggest that that event played a part. I can just guess that being a mother yeah. and then touring and being away from your kids and then them dying when you're gone... I can only imagine. Yeah. That's horrible. That's oh, my God. Yeah. Ah, I can't. Let's move on. I can't think about it. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, it, it I can I can just imagine how horrible it was uh, for both of them to deal with. But, you know, through it all, they they released a bunch of hits together. One that is really uh, a big, well-known one is called Up Above My Head because it reached number six on the R&B charts in the year 1948. Up above my head. Up above my head. I hear music in the air. I hear music in the air. Now up above my head. Up above my head. You know I hear music. I didn't even know that R&B charts existed in 1948, so I was pretty stoked to take Me a look neither. at that. Me <laughs> neither. Yeah. I mean, what we know R&B to be today is, of course, again, very different from what it was at the start. It was really just blues music. So many, like almost all of the popular genres that are in America were really black music, you know, originally. Um, yeah. Country, blues, yeah. jazz, rock and roll all black and so (laughs) you know 
when I when I talk to my students about jazz, I tell them that it's Black American music and that it is American music. And if you don't know jazz as an American, you're not American. And then that's what I say. And then they're like, ha ha ha, that's funny. <laughs> and I'm like, it's true. <laughs> what you think American music is is not what it really is. <sighs> I don't know. I try to be cool with the kids, but sometimes it doesn't land. <laughs> oh my god, me too. Mm-hmm. Me too. It's quite difficult. It's quite difficult. Side note, side note, I don't know what it is about teaching, but like, I am not old, okay? I am 24 <laughs> years old. That's not old. Um, but for some reason, oh, also, I am not technologically inept. Like, when I use mm-hmm. my phone, I like, you know, use it with my thumb and whatever, and I like, I know how to use emojis yeah. properly, so it's not too cringy, but whatever. But like, when I'm teaching... For some reason, I turn into an old lady. Like, I have to, like, look over my glasses and I hold my phone in one hand and, like, use my pointer finger to, like, navigate <laughs> on my phone while I'm te- I Like, if I have to pull up a YouTube video to watch or something, I'm like, oh, hold on. Let me check my phone really quick to find it. I don't know why. I just get so old. And then all of my humor, like, I'm just like, hey, this funny thing. And they're like, nah, you... <laughs> every Don't time even try. every time i think um, i'm being funny i'm not being funny so it's like that's why the middle schoolers and high schoolers <laughs> are always harder for me because elementary school kids you can make elementary school kids laugh all you have to do is like change your voice like yeah. it's so easy to just make them laugh but these older kids are brutal <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know, teenagers are so scary they make me feel old and they make me feel dumb <laughs> yeah. yeah it's like they were built to do that yeah being a teenager was hard. I remember being a teenager. I'm trying to think about being a teenager now in a pandemic yeah. and in the political climate that we're in. Yeah. There are some pros and cons to it. Like, for yeah. example, you can you can definitely be a teenager and for the most part, hopefully, be out. Um, if you're queer and you want to be out, you can usually yeah. be that in society. But there, there are definitely still a lot of circles and a lot of families that are definitely not okay with that and that may never change but i'm hoping that someday it will become a non-issue but you know back to our queen sister rosetta i mean i don't Uh, have (laughs) i don't have a ton of information about her the later half of her life um and the end of her career other than that she you know during during world war ii she recorded a lot because she was uh, one of those artists that sent music out to the troops there were a ton of jazz musicians that were doing this um so she was able to to make some some connections that way and then um later in her career like i was saying she got to travel to the uk and she got to tour with some artists over there and kind of revive her career a little bit because there was kind of a stint where um gospel was definitely falling out of the mainstream and kind of um Mm -hmm. blues and rock and roll as it was in the 40s was definitely evolving and changing over time so it was kind of hard for her to um find her place in her career (laughs) and kind of like find her footing but she did have like a little bit of a revival and this was of course after her split with marie knight and um and yeah i mean i i really just wanted to talk about um kind of her legacy, how really, I mean, everyone learns about Elvis and no one learns about Sister Rosetta. And I mean, there are so many reasons for that that go unspoken, like how she's a woman and how she's black and how 
Um, mm-hmm. she, she was known to be bisexual and all of these things. And it was, I mean, truly like she, she didn't publicly say that she was gay, but everyone knew, I think. And it was really like radical, you know, big air quotes there for her to be living in that way. Um, during that time period that her and Marie Knight just kind of gave zero <laughs> and just recorded the way they wanted to performed the way they wanted to <laughs> she's so cute i know every time she does something adorable on the screen i don't catch it in time to take a screenshot also okay the reason she's being an, a monster right now is i went to panda earlier sam and i both got food and i uh was allowed to eat sam's fortune cookie but she wanted to keep her fortune so I left the fortune on the bed and Rosie was like, ooh, a toy. I'm going to eat it. Mm. So I, I grabbed it while we were talking just now and took it away from her, threw it on the desk up here. And just now she was like, ooh, ooh I found it. And she came up to try to eat it. <laughs> oh, my God. Of course. <laughs> so, yeah. the What does the fortune say? It says, um, a bright new path awaits those willing to explore. Ooh. Yeah. So for those willing to explore the true origin mm-hmm. of rock music. Mm-hmm. And jazz and R and B. R and B. Yeah. R and blues. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. R and blues. R and <laughs> The classic American genre of R and blues. R and blues. Oh, my God. Amazing. <laughs> Well, it's really yeah. funny, like, she she is, is known to have said that, you know, rock and roll is, like, sped up rhythm and blues, and she's been doing that forever, and, like, she was known mm. to say, like, oh, these kids with their rock and roll, you know, <laughs> I've been doing that forever, it's just, <laughs> it's just sped up rhythm and blues, and, and um, that's, that's mm-hmm. in reference to, you know, people like Johnny Cash and Elvis Presley, who were influenced by her, who kind of got to take all the credit of the genre, even though... Without her, they would have never ended up that way, mm-hmm. you know. Would you say a big part of her legacy was, like, that, also that guitar sound that she created? The, like, distorted guitar sound? Yes, exactly. The The distortion in her guitar was a huge part of it. And she, I mean, she could she could solo and play guitar. And I don't, I really don't know if there were any women that were doing that, that I know of. And that... Mm. so i mean you know obviously i don't know (laughs) i'm not a music expert there were probably other people (laughs) like rosetta out there but very few uh very few black women were playing guitar and were able to improvise on it and uh riff on it and solo on it and all that good stuff Mm. and she was doing all of that and um yeah i mean and she would like stand proudly with her guitar too she wouldn't like sit and play very often Mm. she would stand and play and she mm-hmm. would stand with her feet apart, like really like proud, you know, like just Ugh, that's so cool. Yeah, a really powerful stance. And she would and she'd be singing and and she would she wouldn't look down, you know, like she was kind of one of those musicians that just like didn't really her her guitar was a part of her. She didn't need to like check to make sure that mm. she was playing the right thing. You know, it was really, really natural and, and <laughs> seamless for her and her performance presence like speaks for itself when you see 
young and and beyond. A lot of the recordings that you can find of her as a young woman are just of her singing um, and not playing guitar, but those are really fun too for a lot of reasons. Um, mm-hmm. And then as she got older, you're, you're seeing her play guitar a lot more, and I think that she wanted to keep her chops up as long as she could. Because um, in, in 1970, yeah. shortly before she passed away, she had a stroke, and that's kind of what like mm. kind of curt curtailed everything else um she had a stroke and she also had diabetes and i don't know if she had diabetes her whole life or if she developed diabetes but um this is pretty crazy uh one of her legs had to be amputated uh somewhere oh between wow. 1970 and 1973 because of her diabetes so she had a stroke and she had complications wow. from her diabetes and um she actually died on the night before a scheduled recording. Ooh. Oh, wow. I was going to try to find for you guys her very last recording, but it's very hard to find. <laughs> but she was, uh-huh. it was, it was very unexpected. Uh, like everyone knew that she was sick, but I don't think that anybody knew that it was going to happen that quickly. And it was because she had another stroke. So hmm. you have one stroke. Usually if you have two strokes and you're of a certain age and um, certain health, that's it, you know? So, yeah, and she died in wow. Philadelphia, and I'm not remembering if there was any connection to her being in Philadelphia or not, or if that was just where she was recording. Hmm. Um, but, yeah, she was buried there, and, uh, yeah, I mean, to live ugh, 19, I'm going to look back, 1915 to 1973 that's still quite a long time to be alive and there's a lot going on <laughs> yeah a lot going on in america yeah that time. there sure is mm-hmm. wow yeah sometimes i forget that um people who were like functioning adults during like the civil rights era mm-hmm. like the 60s they probably also had to live through world war ii and the cold war and all that and mm-hmm. you know that's just crazy. That's crazy to me. Time <laughs> isn't real. Oh my god, nope. I'm going insane. Well, and this yeah. is funny. One of one of her other hit songs is called Strange Things Happen Every Day. And the whole uh, <laughs> mood of the song, it, I think it was uh, written and performed during the war or shortly after the war. I think it was actually right, right after the bomb hit Hiroshima. So they just dropped the atomic bomb and... You know, obviously with the war going on and with everything else like that was politically going on um, and everything that was going on in the country, you know, one of the ways to cope is to just sing about, oh, strange things are happening everywhere. I think that was kind of the mood of the song was to kind of like, I like point out how crazy things are without actually saying what those crazy things were (laughs) you know yeah wow so i mean you know her early hits are gospel hits and then she goes into some weird sexual maybe (laughs) songs where it's like (laughs) this is probably about sex but we're gonna make it as as vague as possible and then and then her music kind (laughs) of uh kind of became whatever her and marie knight wanted it to be so they had a lot of really fun hits together um Hmm, that's really cool. Yeah, so. I look forward to listening to that. Yeah, me too. Get like an old vinyl and 
Mm, yeah. Playing by a fireplace. Ooh, that sounds nice. Which reminds me, I guess now is a good time to ask whatever. What's some recommended listening you have for us and the listeners? Yeah, so... Um, I can give you kind of a list of some songs. I mean, definitely check out I Want a Tall Skinny Papa because you'll laugh. And (laughs) (laughs) Um, it's just so hokey and just cringy. Um, (laughs) But it's, (laughs) I think it's fun to listen to because of her voice, Um, the way, how high and bright and mighty her voice is uh, in those early recordings. Mm. Um, Let's see. Rock Me is another big Sister Rosetta classic um, because that Mm. song, you know, she's singing and she's playing guitar. And that was kind of the beginning of her like uh, guitar voice really coming out is like her playing on that song. And that was Mm. in, I think, 1938 ish. And um, let's see, there's some more. I mean, with her and Marie Knight, just Google or just like in YouTube type in sister Rosetta Tharp and Marie Knight and all of those songs will pop up but um Beams of Heaven is a really fun song Didn't It Rain is another one and Up up Above My Head and I think all of those are like gospel-ish um songs that they did Mm. together but of course as soon as you YouTube sister Rosetta Tharp that concert that I described earlier by the train tracks is going to come up that's and that was much later in her career so it's kind of fun to listen to that first and then go back and see her when she's young because I think those older recordings really speak to who she was as a performer and as a person more than those Mm -hmm. early ones do but the early ones are fun it kind of reminds me of if like I listened to a recording of myself from like way like 2014 or 15 or something when I was like a baby mm-hmm. jazz musician <laughs> and I li- <laughs> and I listened to my solos and I'm like, oh, you know, <laughs> like it's, it's, <laughs> I try not to cringe too much because of course I'm like cringing, like my inner critic is like cringing at what I'm playing, but I'm also like, oh, that, you know, that's where she was. That's who she was at that time. And it's always cool <laughs> to like compare the two extremes of like where I am now versus where I was back then I think it's kind of similar with her it's not yeah. like this awe moment but it's kind of this like wow you know that was her start that's what she was doing that was when she was uh confined into these long contracts with these touring bands and she had to sleep on the bus and sneak food and deal with constant sexism and racism everywhere she turned and she still had to come through and mm. perform these crazy shows in front of hundreds of people <laughs> it's just mind-blowing yeah that's that's incredible. She sounds like truly incredible. And you know, from what you've said, like you said, what she's known as the godmother of mm-hmm. rock and roll. The wow, yeah, that, what a legacy, you know. I love that totally. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. she could just be called the mother of rock and roll, but I think she's called the godmother because she just oversees so many children of rock and roll that like she can't really have birthed <laughs> all of them. Like that's kind of how I've always seen it. Is like. <laughs> She's uh-huh. she's so influential, you know. She's just like such mm-hmm. a force in that in that music, and she's she's known as the original soul sister, right? Like, um, just one of hmm. the most absolutely the most influential artists. And I mean, I said earlier that she was kind of like people sought her out to like record with her and stuff, but it wasn't that easy. She was definitely wanted and needed in the industry, but she still had to work her ass off to get there. Yeah, you know, similar to 
to Mozart. She was touring at a young age and mm. did everything for her family, similar to modern Disney pop stars. She had to break out of a certain shell <laughs> yeah. and kind of fight rumors. Mm-hmm. And then while doing all of that, she like invented an entire new sound <laughs> and genre and yeah. just kind of was also like a badass bisexual queen. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. That's amazing. <laughs> So, you know, after she married the preacher, she had a couple other failed marriages. She married her manager uh, after, I think it was after her and Marie Knight split. It was kind of like every guy that she married, she ended up divorced from, which kind of makes me think Mm. that she was probably just a lesbian, but I'm not going to like, I can't speak (laughs) on that because... Yeah. Everything everything that has come out about her sexuality was not said by her. You know what I mean? It was said by people mm-hmm. who heard her say it, you know, but there's no confirmed yeah. on the record anything about her sexuality whatsoever other than that she had to kind of tell everybody, "Oh, don't listen to those rumors." <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, but I have a suspicion that, you know, she's trying to marry all these dudes. It keeps not working out, you know. She she mm-hmm. obviously was open about her relationships with women. I think that Marie Knight was the one that was most well-known. But um, if you read up about her, she uh, it, it was said that there were some men and women in her life that would come mm-hmm. in and out. So I don't think it was unknown to the musicians around her or to the industry. But I think that back then, uh, I don't think that being a bisexual was really a thing. That could be mm. discussed openly. I, I mean, I don't know because I wasn't there. But how many people do you know of that were famous in the 20s through 40s that were bi? I can't even name a single famous bi person. You know what I mean? Because it just, yeah. they weren't really saying, they weren't really announcing to the world that that's what their sexuality was. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would also like to apologize because I have... I mean, none of the podcast listeners can see this, but I've been like looking around. Um, <laughs> For your not, cat. I've been listening to you, but yes, mm-hmm. Rosie has, she's crazy now. She's going, meow, 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 just like left and right. I don't think you guys can hear it because of the Zoom settings, but I'm sure my microphone is picking it up. <laughs> so, oh, I'm hearing I heard it. it a little bit. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's so, present. what were we saying? We were talking about, um, oh, yeah, nobody's bisexual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's difficult without knowing exactly what she actually felt or what, what she mm-hmm. said. Um, and not to to play into, like, by erasure, because I think it's super important to have bisexual figures if we can, especially from older time periods. But I definitely also could see a context where, you know, 19 years old, and she obviously has a drive for music. And if getting it means having to utilize relationships with men mm-hmm. um like and she you know why wouldn't you if if mm. it means like that much I mean, to you that's right? what that's what so many of these black women did um i mean that was kind of a dumb way of saying it but i'm thinking about um how billy holiday did it you know she also um often would just get married to managers or, or businessmen, people that were kind of helping her move along in the world. And they were always abusive and always garbage, terrible mm. people to her. And I mean, I think that she got married to them, you know, 
maybe partly out of some type of love. Um, but she knew that doing this might be a good move for her career as well, you know? So I would not be surprised if Mm. sister Rosetta took the same route and that Marie Knight took the same route. I mean, they both married preachers young and (laughs) I just think it's so creepy, you know, still that that is a thing. It shouldn't even have to be that way. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't have to, they shouldn't have to. And I feel like also what we're not talking about is what we don't know for sure. But, um, well, actually, I think we can say we know for sure that managers and people, men in those higher positions, obviously can very quickly turn the situation into like a power, yeah. a power thing and getting what they want out of somebody or. Yeah, you know, I mean, um, it's, like it's a business really for them. Recently. Like it's it's. Yeah, it's this big like publicity stunt. I mean, when she married her manager, um, I don't know a ton of information about this, but their wedding was during a baseball game, like in a baseball field <laughs> in front of all those people. So her wedding oh was this God. big public event and it was with this manager guy. And I don't even know his name. I don't really care to name him because his like, yeah, I'm sure we don't need him. <laughs> I'm sure her manager <laughs> was important in her success as well. But ultimately, she is the one who made herself so successful and who mm. uh, blessed us. <laughs> well, honestly, that's all I have. All I can say is go and listen to <laughs> Sister Rosetta Tharp and tell other people to do the same. Like, I, uh, when I first had the idea to talk about her... Um, well, I'd watched that documentary already, and I don't know if it'll be available in the U.S., but I looked up this documentary on YouTube about <laughs> her, um, and that's where, I mean, I was already really into her and a fan already, but that documentary was, like, just so, so awesome, um, getting more of that personal info mm. from people that that knew her and toured with her and whatever, uh, family members and, and whatnot, and truly just... She was just so slept on. Um, the history books mm-hmm. just love to forget to talk about um, people of color. They love to just disregard all of their work and they don't give them the credit that is due. So yeah. I wanted to just personally demand all of you <laughs> to go <laughs> and, 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 <laughs> and just take like five minutes out of your day to like watch one of her videos or look her up on Spotify. There's tons of good stuff on there. Just just. Do yourself a favor and bless yourself <laughs> by listening to some Sister Rosetta hmm. Tharp. And if you want to get a little crazy, you can listen to her and Marie Knight play together, too. And it's wonderful. Wonderful. <laughs> yeah, definitely going to check them out mm-hmm. tomorrow when it is no longer yes. late at night. <laughs> right there with you. Yeah. Well, it has been such a pleasure to have you on to tell, you know, teach us all about all this. Um, why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you? Yes, you can find me. Um, the Aria podcast is um, definitely something I would hope that you'd check out. You can go to on Instagram <laughs> and just type in Aria podcast. Um, you'll find my personal Instagram on there, too, if you look. Um, that's kind of the main platform that I use to distribute content. So Instagram is definitely where you can find me. And um, in all of my episode descriptions, you can find more about um, who I'm talking about and get to hear more of their music too. So if you just want to listen to some new interesting music, then 
the podcast is is definitely the place for you (laughs) well awesome and so i guess that's our show uh follow follow julianne and all her stuff and also follow us on classical queeros uh dot com and stuff (laughs) (laughs) buy our merch we have rosy merch um can't forget about our rose and i think that's everything that i have to say good night (laughs) the end (laughs) good night okay woo Woo! Yeah. Awesome.